amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. The shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Bait, and it keeps it out of sight. You know when that shark bites. So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take with me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin. This is episode 101 we saw in the century earlier in the week in the company of Mr. Matthew Hatton. Great fun that was too. We chatted uh, a bit about Campbell Hatton, the latest Hatton to take to pro boxing. Had a word about Canelo against Callum Smith. We'll have a bit more of a chat about that today. But most of it really was dedicated to stories um, of the old days, of their old gym days, their Manchester days between the magic man and uh, and Mr. Macklin. And there were some very good ones. We generally got half a story because it was beyond the watershed, really, to go too far with with a lot of those stories. Uh, And we might get get leave bits out, you know what I mean? We can only give you certain elements of the truth. (laughs) We might. We might get another one today because um, the gentleman who's on today, when, when Matthew Hatton discovered he was coming on, he said, oh... With a, with, a, with a crafty glint in his eye. Oh, you must ask him about the roulette wheel. Um, so uh, I've, heard, I've just heard the roulette wheel story. I'm not totally sure. Even I'm not totally sure whether this is one that's really for public consumption. Maybe some kind of edited highlights. We'll make a decision on that at the end. But what we're really here to talk to this gentleman about today is something we talk about a lot on Macklin's Take. Uh, and that's the, the art of matchmaking. The art of guiding and building a fighter's career because it's as important now as it has always been you you could argue I think make a strong case um, to say that in the early stages of a fighter's career their matchmaker if they have a regular one and it's always best if you do that their matchmaker is as important if not more important even than their trainer than their manager than anybody else on their team because one thing you could guarantee is that if you've got a bad matchmaker in those early stages, that fighter will not achieve their potential because either they'll be thrown in 
too deep, too quick and get a career shortening, confidence shattering beating. I mean, you see it, don't you? You see it sometimes or they're not thrown in deep enough. Then they find themselves in a big fight for some kind of a title. They haven't been in a hard fight for a long time and they don't know what to do and they lose and people walk away. You see that and it's it's pretty heartbreaking that one because that's the kind of scenario you really do you do see coming. You can see both of them coming uh, sometimes. And so there's a lot that goes into it. There are lots of obstacles. And it's one of those things where experience and knowledge and, and contacts and networks and longevity, they all, they all play a big, big part. It has changed a bit over the last few decades with, with the internet and YouTube and BoxRec and all of those things. But I still think it's one of those pursuits where there is nothing better than to be able to trust what you have actually seen with your own eyes. This is kind of naked eye universe that is, that is boxing. And we're joined by one of the best today, the matchmaker for, uh, for Golden Boy. He's on the move. He's in the Yucatan in Mexico um, in transit. It's Robert Diaz. Uh, Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you for having me again. It's a pleasure. I, I want to say I send all my love and all, to all the friends out there that I've met through the years. Macklin, congratulations on, on, on the podcast, on the show. Doing so well. Uh, Matthew Haddon, Campbell, Ricky, great move. Congratulations on this new uh, chapter in your life, Campbell, because it's going to be great to have those nights in Manchester again, those Haddon nights, and give those fans that next generation. And I'm looking forward to seeing Campbell develop. I mean, we met him when he was a baby. Who would have ever thought we'd see this or how soon we would see this? And it's 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 always said, he, mini me, mini me. And he looks just like Ricky and looking at him and his moves and his sounds. I'm excited to see the kids start going and, and, and giving us those nights. So on to your, your so, particular so area to... of expertise, which which I outlined in the, in the preamble there. Um, something I've always wondered is, it seems to me that if you're going to guide a fighter's career early on, you're going to match them, then it would make sense if you have quite a lot of say as regards who gets signed. Uh, and I just wonder whether that is the case with you or whether that is the case typically. Is talent spotting and deciding who you're going to be matching, is that is that as big a part of it as the actual matching? That's correct. I mean, as far as the signing, obviously Oscar gets involved a lot in the signing. Uh, Eric gets involved, but the majority of the signing is done by the criteria of the person that sees more, you know, I, I'm not, I'm going to see the four rounders um, from the beginning stage. I'm there. You start seeing, or I'm the one getting the videos all the time or, or the emails of this new talent, they, a coach, a father, a manager. And you start seeing, you know, a lot of people call, it's their dream to become a boxer, a champion. And I have the next Mike Tyson. I have the next Oscar. I have the next Ricky. And you watch the videos and they're jumping rope. So it's like, okay, I need to see a little bit more. Oh, I'll send you sparring sessions. And I learned early on, I don't want to see a sparring session. I won't. I cannot see true character in a sparring session. Because in reality, it could be set up. Matt, you go into the gym. You say, I got to send this video. Bring me the. The kid who has no amateur experience, they bring them in, and you could look like a hundred bucks, you know, a million bucks. I want to see a fight. I want to see a tournament. I want to see a kid get dropped and, and how will you react. So I like to see, and I don't like edited copies or anything. So I tell them, look, if you're going to send me hitting the heavy bag, 
I'm not interested. Send me a full fight. That's where I'm going to see who that fighter is. And sometimes you see great amateurs. They don't turn pro. They just don't develop in the pros. They were there too long. Um, their style doesn't fit the pros. Sometimes, and it's happened where I've had an amateur that was not promising, Omar Figueroa, because he had a pro style, took it to the pros, won a world title, and stayed undefeated for a long time. But I agree with you 100, 100% on timing. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it is the development. You can go too long and build in a record where now the fighter believes he's as good as the record. And that could be dangerous because you could have 20 and all, 20 knockouts all in the first round. And now you fight your, for your first world title and you're nowhere net ready because the 20 that you fought didn't get you ready for this fight. Now you're going to see obstacles. Now you're going to see things you've never seen before. And it's a deer in headlights. They freeze. Or you could do it too soon. So it is a, it, everybody's different. Some fighters progress faster. Some have the better uh, amateur experience. The character, some it's age. They can't wait too long. So it's like, hey, we're going to have to go fast track or in deep waters. A good example is we announced a fight yesterday that I think surprised a lot of the boxing world, a lot of the fans. And a kid we have from Uzbekistan who's 6-0, and five knockouts. And he's fighting Sergey Kovalev. Anywhere else, people would say, you guys are crazy. This is a mismatch. And who knows? They may be right at the end after. We have to wait to see. I'm very confident because from the first fight, this kid showed extreme power. In his third fight, he was already fighting veterans of eight and ten rounds, knocking them out. And then in his fourth, he went with Von Alexander, who was a veteran, tough, strong guy. And went 10 rounds and didn't look sloppy. Sergey obviously is an older fighter with a lot of experience. Beck is 24 years old. Should Beck lose? Unless he gets blown out in one round where you're right. The confidence could get shot. Maybe I'm not good for this. Maybe uh, I wasn't meant. And then it's hard to bring them back. Especially when they're knockout artists and they get knocked out. But if should he lose in a decision close. He'll gain experience, and he's get he's already getting a lot of notoriety for for taking this type of fight. But he'll come back stronger because he's still young. Only if he gets a beating, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. But if he wins, and he has a good chance, strong, awkward, fast, in and out, and a great body puncher, Sergey, you know, as as good as strong as he is, has always been suspect to the body shots. It's a great win for the kid with six fights. And boxing's all about risks. Boxing's all about opportunities. A good example is Teofino uh, Lopez a couple months ago. I applauded the kid when he took the fight. Uh, it was one that said he won't win because Lomachenko's just that good. But he's going to show the world this is what boxing's about. This is what it should be about. A young man's sport taking opportunities, taking challenges, not taking these fights that they're supposed to win and building a, a record that, so what, you won't be remembered tomorrow. You know, we still talk about the great fighters of yesterday. They all lost. Muhammad Ali, Hagler, Hearns, you know, Leonard, they all lost, but they were in great memorable bouts. Now, Teofino, I said he's going to learn 
He's going to get better. He won't get knocked out. And he'll show the world, look, this is what happens when you take challenges. Now, what if he wins? And he did. The kid, I'm not comparing him exactly, but the mentality that I saw in him prior and during is a little Roberto Duran. The kid was so confident. The kid, and that's one of the biggest and most important things, a fighter believing he can win is hard to defeat. I think that gave him the best edge. He believed he can win. He was so confident he could win that nobody was going to beat him that night. Barrera Hamed, Marco was so confident that Hamed was not going to beat him that night. I did an interview the week of the uh, Lopez Lamachenko bill with, uh, I think it was Boxing Social. And I said to them, I said, you know, they're asking me about the fight. I said, look, I'll say this. And, and, and by the way, I'm not picking Lopez to win. I'm, I'm picking Lamachenko. But what I will say is this. I haven't seen one person fight Lamachenko yet who believes they're going to beat him as much as this kid does. So, and that's a massive factor. So we'll see. It's 100%. You know, if you don't believe it yourself, you can talk it up on that. But if you don't believe it deep down, then you're not going to win. You know, but I could tell with Lopez, I didn't think he was going to win. I didn't believe, I didn't believe he was going to win. But I absolutely believed that he believed he was going to win. And that 100%. Was you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and I agree with you. I was in the same position. I said, the only reason I don't think he'll win is because Lomachenko is that good. And he does things that the kid hasn't seen yet. But he was so confident. There was something in the press conference that he said, I guess I'm going to be hitting you all night or something. They said, oh, you, you only have, they said something to him. And then he replied back with that confidence. And yes, you're right. You can feel that he believed he could win. And look, he proved us, he proved many of us wrong. Hey, 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 kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. He did. He absolutely did. Uh, the fighter you were mentioning there, who's going to box Sergey Kovalev, Bektamir Melikuziev, one of the Uzbek fighters who's, who's moving really quick, like Israel Madrimov, Murek John Akhmedaliev. Akhmedaliev's a unified world champion already. And they were kind of the last of the Eastern Bloc, former Soviet countries, if you like, to really embrace pro boxing. And a lot of them are turned over recently. He's a good example of someone who a lot of people would have been after his signature. Um, so Golden Boy would have been delighted to get it. He's kind of progressed, I would imagine, in the way that you probably expected he would because he went to the Olympics, medaled at the Olympics, medaled at, at World Championships. Now, Shopping for those kinds of fighters, in a way, they're not all going to make it, but it's it's fairly straightforward. I'd imagine what gives you maybe more satisfaction on the talent spotting side is finding someone who didn't have a big amateur career, who isn't really talked about, but somehow you find out about them. You look at them and think, 
Look at what they've done with absolutely no resources or backing and nothing. Imagine what they might do if they were with us. There's kinds of two different categories, aren't there, in a way? Well, there's 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 quite a, there's quite a bit like that. Uh, you know, Omar Figueroa, I keep saying, is, is, is one of those cases where I remember when I signed him, there was emails and calls to Golden Boy saying, who's signing your talent? Omar's not even the best in the state, much less the nation. Why would you sign a kid like that? And I, I, I sort of doubted. I'm like, man, but I wasn't looking at an extensive amateur career. I was looking at a kid when I signed him, had like six fights. I believe all knockout hadn't fought anybody, of course, just on a local circuit. But the connection he had with his fans, it's very important. Not only is he a good fighter, but is he marketable? And Omar was. Omar was. He was very well-liked, very well-spoken, good-looking kid. And you know what? It paid off. It paid off. Another example of, of matchmaking and, and, and how to sometimes you got to, depending on the talent you have in front, is Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder didn't have a long amateur background. Obviously, he won a medal, but he didn't have a long amateur background. Goes to the pros. We signed him from the pro debut. For early on, you could tell he had a huge right hand. If he hits you with the right hand, he's knocking you out. But similar to a Tommy Hearns, the frame, his chin was also suspect. He got hit. It was, I believe, the 11th fight. He fought a kid named Harold Sconiers in California. And he was laid out. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, it's over. It's over. He got up. To his credit, he got up. And a couple rounds later, he stopped Conyers Again, big puncher. Right there, I said, you know what? I got to be careful. I got to be careful because any big puncher, Conyers had an upside-down record. I said, any big puncher with too much experience can touch that chin. It could be over. So. If you remember during his buildup, a lot of the fans said he was uh, fighting tomato cans and fighting. And it was hard. It was hard because for the fighter, for the team, for the promoter, for me personally, you, you take that criticism and it's like, it bothers you. It hurts. But I knew, let's just get him there. Let's get him there. Because once he's there in the world title fight, it's a 50-50 chance with that power he had. And it came. He went undefeated, fought for the world title, and won the world title. I remember that being, uh, uh, it was a bittersweet day because that was when his contract ended with Golden Boy. But it was sweet because we shut up a lot of people, a lot of the critics. He made the world title. He brought the title back. It was the first time in many years a a heavyweight world title was back in the U.S. And then he went on to defend for quite a bit. You know, so... He did the right thing. Now, if he would have got knocked out in the 10th or 15th fight because of shit, we might have never seen that chapter, that growth, that confidence, little by little in the power. So you're absolutely right. Timing is everything. It's a fine balance, isn't it, Robert? Yeah. You, look, you, 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 and there's so many different factors to, to bring in. So like, you, you couldn't just tell someone who doesn't know, if someone said, oh, what's it take to matchmaking? You're like... <laughs> Have you got two weeks? <laughs> I need to see that. You know, there's so many different eventualities. It's like, I don't want to molly cuddle someone too much because they need to be in tough fights because they need to learn, they need to grow, they need to get the experience. But I don't want to get him beaten before he's, before he's there. And 
it, it, it's it's such a fine. And then there's guys who won't want to fight him because he's dangerous. He hits so hard, and it's like, you know what I mean. And, and there's only so much budget there for that fight. So it, it gets to a point like, for, for example, there's a guy in, in the UK now called um, Joshua Boatsy. He's a really good light heavyweight. You'll know who he is. He's at this stage in his career where he's probably just shy of. He's not quite there at world level, say world title level. He could fight for one. Could he fight for one and win one? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's not experienced enough yet. But where he is, and to, to bridge that gap, the, the guys that he probably needs to fight to get there probably don't want to fight him. You know what I mean? Because they've got everything to lose and very little to gain. They're probably not far off fighting for a world title shot themselves. You're talking, you know, peripheral top 10, top 15, top 20 guys. These guys are probably thinking, well, listen, I might get a shot. So I don't want to risk losing to someone like Joshua Boatsy. I've got nothing to gain by fighting him unless I get a lot of money. So, but but I know that. Well, I, I don't know the I don't know his business, but I'm guessing that Eddie Hearn's already massively overpaying people to get in the ring with Boatsy to get him those learning fights that he needs. But he's at that point where it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you, you must have had so many headaches over the years trying to get those fights. Well, it is because sometimes you just have to overpay in order to 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 get that gatekeeper, to get that one fighter that you say, my kid's ready for the world title in one or two fights, but I need to see him with one of those veterans that's going to make him struggle a little bit to see how he copes with it mentally more than physically and, and determine, is he really ready? And you see that a lot. I mean, look, with Virgil Ortiz right now, we we believe in the in Virgil so much. We know he can win the world title. He's blowing out everybody. 16 and 0, 60 knockouts. He's going rounds. He's dedicated. He trains hard. But I still want to see one of those fights where maybe a former world champion, uh, a, 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 a contender that's fought for the world title a couple of times and gone the distance, that can maybe make Virgil think a little bit more and and frustrate Virgil a little bit. I've, I've thrown a southpaw at him. I've thrown a puncher at him. I've thrown a boxer at him, and he's passed all of them with flying colors. Now I want to see maybe uh, one of those boring and, – and, and you try not to, to hurt him because, look, I put in a one of those, let's say, for example, a Cuban-style uh, mover, and he has to now cut the corners, trap them, set up traps and knock them out. But it could also backfire because, and I'm not worried about the uh, knockout streak. I mean, he's doing it, but we never, that wasn't the intention. I mean, if he goes around, when I matched him with Mauricio Herrera, I told him, look, if you don't knock him out, that's fine. You get valuable rounds. If you knock him out something that nobody's done, I mean, think of that. And I really didn't think he was going to knock him out. Mauricio Herrera is an old school fighter that, you know, did things that other fighters couldn't do and struggled. Look what he did to Danny Garcia. I mean, Mauricio had a lot of experience and he put him out. He put him out. So those are the type of fighters that you try to put in fights that'll give them a little bit of difficulty to learn more and more of their character. You don't just want all knockouts. Okay. You, you don't want and you don't want to end up um, with a Francisco Bajardo, do you? I mean, he was. I remember Francisco Bajardo when he was coming through. This he just looked like he was going to be a pound for pound legend. He was blasting everyone out. His hand speed, he was unbelievable, wasn't he, Robert? Absolutely. He he was. He had a higher ceiling 
than Fernando Vargas. He had a higher ceiling because he was the, the new version of a Fernando, but he smiled a little bit more. And but what happened with with Bojado, and you see it happen today, and and we have to learn from our mistakes is before their pros, they already felt like they won the world title. Why? Because they get this huge check from sponsors, management, promotions, and you take away the hunger. That hunger is no longer there when a, a pro debut can go and buy a house and buy a car and, and there's no more hunger. I already made it even without making it. And you see that a lot. It, 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 it's unfortunate. We had a kid named Frankie Gomez who, who could, you could compare to Francisco Bojado um, out of East LA, one tremendous amateur, went pro, also beat Mauricio, beat everybody you put in front of him, but couldn't get out of the hood. Now, he also got a big sign-off. And that's when we learned and said, look, it's better over the period of time that the fighter earns it. It's their own. They, they've earned it. It's not just here's a, you know, a check. And once they earn it, in most cases, as you know, you take care of that money because it costs you blood, sweat, and tears. So it's, it's, and you feel proud of it because it's like, I earned this the hard way. A good example on, on fighters that have not always had it easy. Jorge Linares, how many times has he been written off? You know, because he's lost almost every fight by knockout that he's lost. But he keeps coming back and winning and winning. And I've always had faith in him, even after the losses. Okay, sometimes it's outside distractions that, that get to the fighter. Sometimes it's you're not interested in even fighting anymore or that fight and you're not up for it. And that's the worst time to get into a fight when you don't get up for the fight. But with Jorge, even at 34, right now, he's training. He got COVID. He was supposed to fight Fortuna. I can actually tell you he's going through one of his best moments right now, ever. The Jorge of 34 years old versus the young undefeated Jorge, I go for this one all day. Because of the experience now, it's not just, he knows now, it's not just about throwing 20 punches a minute. It's about setting your punches. Maybe I'll throw 19, but that 20th is coming with power. So that experience is, is key. I've had so many fighters now that have lost and come back hungrier because at one point they thought they were undefeated. Now they know, hey, I got to train. I got to run that extra mile. I got to work. And that's when they become a dangerous fighter, when he's talented and hungry again. What well, One of the things that gives you much more ability to rebound from a defeat is, as we've been saying, is if you're matched properly on the way up because when it happens, and it's in the post, everybody's going to lose at some point, whether it's a kind of devastating defeat or you get nicked on the cards or whatever it is, but it's happening. Um, and your ability to, to cope with it does depend on what your experience have been in the, in the earlier part of your career. I, I just wonder, I talked at the beginning about some of the obstacles you face these probably aren't as bad for you now because you're you're so established now and people trust you. You proved your competence and your ability and all of those things. But when you were on the way up, how big a problem were trainers and managers and parents? I mean, sometimes those three jobs are all done by the same person. But I mean, I talk to UK matchmakers. I won't I won't I won't name any, but they tell me about some of the problems they have with trainers and managers and dads not wanting this fight and not wanting that fight and describing the kind of fight they would like and there's no such fighter on planet Earth. I mean, how difficult is that? 
it is very difficult. And that's one thing that, and it's a great question. It's something that the fans have to understand is, you know, why don't they make this fight and that fight? We'd love to. There's sometimes that, hey, yeah, you're right. That would be a great fight. But the obstacles are the spouses, the parents, the trainer, the manager. Sometimes not even the fighter. The fighter's just like, hey, I just want to fight. But the manager's looking at the economics and the financials, and I don't want to risk it. What if he loses? I, I, the trainer's looking at, hey, you know what? We're not. It could be, and and if it's this case, I agree with it. He's not ready for that. Okay, but sometimes now trainers are, are to the comfort zone that says, yeah, but if he loses, our our, our job security's gone. They might blame me. Or, you know what? It's boxing. We're gonna lose. We're gonna win. We're gonna. But there's times where it's like, this is the fight to do now, not five years from now. You know, that that marinating and everything. I mean, it's it's if the fight is good to do, like right now, for me personally, Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence, that should be done. No more than one more fight. Maybe Errol Spence, I mean, he showed he's back. The accident, you know, he, he did great in his comeback. He did very good with Danny Garcia. Maybe he needs one more. But it has to happen next year. Before that, but it should be. Exactly. Exactly. Look how old they are. And I'm not saying they're old, Pastor Prime, but Sugar Ray and Tommy Hearns fought when they were young. And, 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 and these guys are in the 30s and haven't fought yet. So it's like, let's do it now. It's good for boxing. Stop worrying about, uh, you know, what side or what side. If the fans and the media demand it, I think the fight happens. Look, Fury, Fury and Wilder happen. There's no reason this shouldn't happen. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. And Matt, we, we talk to um, our good pal John Pegg a lot. He's a, he's a matchmaker and you get a sense of some of the problems that they have. I remember him saying to us that he had been asked by a fairly big name trainer um, for, a, for an opponent for his prospect. And the, and the fight he described was, you know, the trainer that is, he said, okay, John, I want you to find me an away corner fighter, a journeyman. So he's not going to come to win. He knows the score. He can't punch and he's easy to hit. And John just said, there is no such fighter. <laughs> there is no such fighter in the world. That's not what journeymen do. You don't have fighters who can't punch and stand there and let you hit them. That's just not, yeah, but that's the, sometimes this is what they're dealing with. Yeah. you. I mean, everybody sees it. I mean, especially those that are not been around boxing too long, which are some, most of the time the parents or the spouse. And they have a big opinion, obviously. And, they can be that obstacle. You know, there's that fight you want to make and there's that fight that's ready to be made, but they come back, you know what, two, three more fights. And a lot of it is parents. A lot of it is parents when these fighters are so young. Yes, and you're right. You know, through the years, they've gained, I've gained the confidence and everything and they've seen with with the development of other fighters. I've had parents tell me, well, can you develop this similar to him? And I'm like, Okay, just just follow my lead, and and it's not an exact going to be a guarantee. I mean, a lot has to do on your son's ability and talent. 
one kid that I'm very, very, very high on right now. And he's doing things right. And he's very dedicated and tremendous power is Aaron McKenna. I mean, he's doing things right. I, I obviously would like to move him a little faster because I, I see the talent there, but you know, with COVID and him out there right now, he just took a, a stay busy fight, but he stopped the kid that had never been stopped. So he's doing the things he wants to do. That shows me he's ready for the next. It's an interesting era as well for, for matchmakers at the moment, for, for obvious reasons. There's lots of fighters who want to fight. There are plenty who can't get a fight because there just aren't that many, aren't that many shows. But do you think now is a time where maybe your job is to an extent a little bit easier because are name fighters, prospects more willing to take risks, risks at the minute? Because if you offer them a fight and they think, oh, I'm not sure about that, then you say, okay, well, you're not going to get a fight then. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know what? That's why I'm saying that these big fights need to be made now because now's the time fighters are realizing, you know, when they say in the past, no, nah, not now, I need a couple tune-ups, um, maybe next year and a couple of years from now. Today's world opened the eyes of the whole world in every aspect, not just boxing, in every, you know, walks of life that if things continue like this, there's shutdowns and they could be for a year or more. And a lot of times, you know, outside of the big main stars in boxing, fighters live fight by fight. They're, they're training all year round. A lot of them are been in the gym. I have kids that have been in the gym just waiting for a call because even another promoter might have a show and somebody tests positive and it's like, Hey, are you ready? Yes. I have somebody ready to go, you know, and that's happened. We had, some cross promotion fights recently during COVID. We have uh, Joshua Frankel who went and fought Maloney and won a world title. Um, we've had some fighters fight on other cards. I had a kid from Mexico do his debut um, in the U.S. here at Freddie Roach's gym and and won his first fight in the U.S. Um, so it's you're just working on trying to keep as many as you can busy. But yes, you're right. I think they're willing now that that hunger. Uh, of getting in the ring and willing to face anybody just to get in the ring and fight is is now more than it was before COVID. Matt, that's something we've seen, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I think that this year and even last year, but definitely with COVID, it's um, there's like a bit of a change. I think coming, we've seen, you know, you've seen the PBC coming in with. Massive hedge fund paying huge purses. Then you're seeing the zone coming in, paying massive purses. So the, the 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 market value of what someone gets paid for a certain fight went up. Then I think I think that's starting to come back down a little bit now. You know, fights aren't happening. And you know, at first people would think, well, I'm not gonna fight for that because they think their market value is up here. But I think there's been a reset, which which was inevitable because, you know, it wasn't real money, you know, it wasn't this money wasn't being generated, let's say, from a pay-per-view event, from crowd. You know, there's only certain streams of revenue from a show to the, the gate or the TV money and sponsors. And that the, the purses, the money that was being spent on these fights wasn't actually being generated. They were losing money, but people were trying to buy their way into the boxing or buy control, whether it was the PBC or, you know, the zone trying to buy a control. But, you know, I think eventually they've realized, well, this, this is unsustainable, you know, and I think COVID has just accelerated what was inevitably coming anyway. So I think now you're getting to the point where fighters realise, it's like, well, 
if you don't want to fight for that, well, then you just ain't fighting and you're going to, you're going to be back the back of the queue because we, we, we've got guys out here that are willing, ready, able, staying in the gym, hungry, want to fight. So we can't be, we're not going to be, you know, messed about with, with messers and people who just want to go into a fight where they're going to blast the guy out in a round but still want to get paid X amount of money. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, if you want to get paid the money now and you're on TV, you're going into a, a 50-50 type of, or you're going into a competitive fight. I'm not saying it has to be 50-50, but it's got to be competitive because the TV, everyone's cutting onto it now. All the TV, everyone's, everyone's sick of the mismatches, which there was a little bit, and paying, paying massive money, but not not that level of a fight. So I think right now, it's like, nah, it, there's been a massive reset, and I think there's been a, a, a reset within the mindset of the promoters, the matchmakers, the managers, the, and the fighters themselves, and the fighters are starting to realise, now, you know what? I, I, I ain't going to get 12 weeks notice. I'm not a pay-per-view star. I've got to stay in the gym. I've got to stay in shape. I've got to keep my weight down. And you know what? If I want to be on the TV and I want to earn X amount of money, I've got to be in a fight, and that's just the way it is. And I either believe in myself or I don't. Look at Tiafimo Lopez. The man backed himself, and look where he is now. I got goosebumps from hearing you because you are absolutely right. And and a lot of fighters got spoiled and thought they were already stars because they got more than paid for, for sparring sessions. And I think the reset is now. Everybody has to work in conjunction. I've always been one to say, let's do cross promotions more often. Let me put our best against your best and your best against his best. And it, because at the end of the day, if they forget about that pretty zero that looks good on paper, the fans, boxing will come back bigger and stronger than ever. The fans win, so boxing wins. And you know what? A loss is not going to finish a career. I mean, Arturo Gatti had losses, and, 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 and everybody wanted to see Arturo Gatti because he was exciting and fun to watch. I'd rather see an Arturo Gatti than a Rigandau any day that – you know, Rigandau has only lost once or, you know, but he's not exciting. He, that, that's not the, the, you know, cup of tea for me. I want to see these guys, you know, that put on fights that you walk out of the arena thinking, wow, you know, Ricky, Ricky lost, but Ricky always had his soldiers and, and, and because he fought with his heart and that's all you, you know, that's what you want to see. Those type of fights. I think you're absolutely right. It's time for everybody to work together, reset it and now start not worrying about, well, if my guy loses, don't keep track. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. You know, I, I've done with Eddie Hearn many fights. And I love working with them and, and top rank many fights. And, and it's like, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. I, I saw a tweet the other day, Eddie put about a, a kid he has uh, that won in the first round on the AJ's fight, uh, uh, a lightweight. He says, hey, let's do Linares. I said, Eddie, be careful what you wish for. You might go 0 and 5. Linares handling it himself has got beat him four times already. So I said, You want to go 0 and 5? Send the contract. Let's do it. You know, it's, it's, you were talking about the fine line of matchmaking. When they're too young, you don't want to rush them because they're still babies. They're still, they're fighting men. But once they're at a certain age and veterans and experience, it's time to let it go. It's time to let it go, you know, because, uh, the career is so short and it goes so fast that next thing you know, it's like now the sad part is when the talent's no longer there or, 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 or you know, the, the timing's no longer there. The ability is no longer there because the age caught up and now they want to fight anybody for whatever. 
And it's like, you had that chance then and you were so stuck on, oh, if they don't pay me this, I won't fight. If they don't pay, I think you're right. COVID has opened up the eyes and saying, you know what? If I want to fight before this is over, I better step up. James Tennyson is the fighter you were thinking of there. He's a he's a big banger from Belfast. So um, I'll tell you what, that would be an interesting fight. I wouldn't like to say which way that one would go. It might be short and sweet. It, it might not, but I, I would be keen. I would definitely be keen. I think another category of fight that, that you'll all have always have been matching down the years, but that has had a bit of a renaissance due to COVID is we've been talking mainly about prospects and and bringing them through so far. And then you'll have your top of the bill, of course, um, which will be a title fight. But in the middle there, you just need some good matches. Um, And often we see on, on the cards that we cover, we see a really good match kind of relegated too low down the card because people don't really know who they are. And they would rather put a prospect versus an opponent on, on TV in this COVID era, I think that's changed now because we've had quite a few fights where they're not named fighters, but you know this is going to be a good fight. Um, and that, I think there is definitely room for more of that because surely people want to see that more than they want to see 40 points to 36 or 60 points to 54. Something that I always like to do on a card is try to match what people say are two B-sides, you know, because... When both fighters believe, you know what, I'm not the opponent here. And I'm going in with that mentality that I can win this fight. And now you have both guys knowing that whoever wins this goes on to a next level of fighting for a bigger fight and bigger payday. Sometimes you get the better fights there because they're both going with the mentality to win. It's not just like Matt said earlier, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk up, I can win. It's believing. You know, the physical part's been done all in gym through camp, six weeks, eight weeks. But there's also the mental part that the trainer's working on or, you know, the the team's working on. And that fighter has to build that mental edge that I'm ready. I'm ready. I can win this fight. And when both of them go in there, I'm not the opponent, regardless of the corner I'm in. I'm the guy that's going to win. You get, uh, they could both be coming off losses. And yet you could get a very even fight. But again, because it's a 50-50 or even fight, not a mismatch. Uh, do you know what it is? I think this is, that is exactly the reason why sometimes in the UK, rubber domestically, you get some of the best fights of the year are for the British title. Because you got guys, for that level of a fight, you got guys that maybe go on to fight for world title, become world champions or whatever, that are meeting at a point in their careers where they're still very much improving. They're not the finished article even. Um, mm-hmm. and, but they're, and they're still hungry and they both want to believe it and everything. So there's no there's no, uh, no quarter given and none asked. You know, for example, I me still, and Jamie Moore. I still remember your fight with Jamie Moore. I yeah, I was going to say, you know, me and Jamie Moore. So after that fight, Jamie went on, became European champion. You know, I went on and become British European champion, fought for the world title three times. But, that, but we fought at that stage in our careers you know, that didn't do me any harm. If anything, it probably made me. It was probably the making of me. So, you know, no, listen, and you, you'll know this even as well as I do, as a promoter and a manager and matchmaker, of course you're going to try and guide your fighter through undefeated. Listen, as a promotional tool, having that O next to your name, it's a great thing. But that said, sometimes in terms of developing as a fighter, sometimes it's not the best thing because sometimes you need to taste that defeat 
to know your own limitations and your own weaknesses and to know where you really need to work on things. Okay, so uh, many years ago at the beginning, Akihiko Honda, the biggest promoter out of Asia, told me, make the fight Linares and Katsidis. Linares was undefeated. And I said, really? He goes, yes, it's okay. Don't worry if Jorge loses. I couldn't, I couldn't digest that. I couldn't digest that because Jorge was like his prized possession, one of the stars that loved in Japan, undefeated, tremendous talent. Today, years later, I understand. A fighter sometimes when they lose becomes a better fighter. It doesn't damn, it doesn't end a career. Depends on how they lose. And of course, Jorge's first loss was a first round knockout. But he had gotten to a point where you start believing so much the hype that maybe you stop running, you stop training, you stop, you, you become more involved in the celebrity life and then the, you know, the fans coming up. And when you lose, maybe you hit that rock bottom because everybody disappears and leaves you and you're like, What's going on? I thought everybody loved me. No, they love winners. They, they, they're with you while that circle gets bigger and bigger and bigger while you're winning and maybe even paying for everything. But it's a good lesson to learn because the second time around, you've now been through it that you're like, yeah, I'm going to pick and choose who my circle is now. And you see it, that circle becomes smaller that next chapter. You know, it's not as big as when you're undefeated and everybody's just hanging around. So. In essence, it is a good lesson to learn, and it does make some fighters better. The majority of the fighters become better because you learn, oh, you know what? I, I made that mistake. I, I, I dropped my left hand. I should have kept it up. That's how he kept hitting me with the right. You learn from those losses. You learn more, and that's why they say you learn sometimes more from the loss than from the wins. When I look back on the, on the fight with Jamie Moore, obviously I completely punched myself out and Jamie defensively was very good. He paced it. He knew when to go, when to rest. And that was his experience. When I look back, even in the four, five, six fights before that, I was looking impressive. I was blasting guys out. I was getting raved about on TV. But to look at my development as a fighter, it was obvious that somewhere down the line, I was going to punch myself out. The writing was on the wall. It nearly happened in a few fights before that, but I got the guy out of there. So it never happened. And because because I got the win and we're all celebrating. I didn't I didn't micro-analyze the performance. Yeah. I didn't micro-analyze the performance with proper honesty. Think, Fucking hell, I nearly, blew, I nearly blew a gasket in that seventh round. I need to slow down. Now we were just celebrating on to the next one. But when I look back now in hindsight, even those guys that were stopping in four, five, six rounds, you know, another round or two, if they could have hung in there with me, I, I, I'd have run out of steam. So... It's that, but it took that. It took the pain of the loss for me to look deeply at everything and proper analyze, and go back and look at not just that performance but all the other performances and realize, you know what, that was always going to happen because I was too gung ho. I was thinking I could blast a hole in everyone, and as you climb the levels, you can't do that. They're tougher. They're cuter. They got better defenses. You've got to learn to pace yourself, and 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 that's what I did from that fight. But. You know, what I'm saying is that was obvious I needed to learn that, but it wasn't until I tasted the pain of the defeat that I was able to to really take that on board. Well, I remember with the first Marquez-Juan Diaz fight, it was a 12-round world title fight in Houston. Juan Diaz charged. Juan Diaz wasn't a puncher. He just threw a lot of volume. Juan Diaz charges Marquez, 
and starts just unloading. Pa, 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 pa. He stumbles Marcus. Marcus goes to the back of the corner, hits the corner post. He knocked Juan Marquez, Juan Manuel Marquez knocks him out, I believe, in the eighth or ninth round. After the fight, I go to Marquez and I said, Hey, you were nervous, huh? You you got a little. He goes, No, not at all. When he came at me that quick, right off the gate, I knew it was inexperience. I knew he wasn't going to sustain 12 rounds of that. So that's when I started working his body. And sure enough, he started breaking. So losses, experience, uh, you could see it in a, in a seasoned fighter. I mean, Macklin could tell you he wasn't the same fighter when he came out, you know, throwing punches and the nervous punches in the first round at the beginning of your career as to more of that calm fighter knowing, okay, I got a nervous kid in front of me. Let me wear him out. Let me tire him out. Let me play with him because now it's experience. I don't even have to throw many punches. Let me just throw the right punches, hurt him, slow him down. Show them who's boss. Even in sparring, it happens. You see a young kid wanting to, oh, wow, I'm, I'm sparring the champion. They go in there, and they're so excited, and and the champion just uh, hits them that one. Slow down, kid. Calm down. Stop. You know, don't get too excited here. I'm in control. It's beautiful to see that. It's beautiful to see that progress, you know, through the years that you you see the development and say, wow, he did turn into a, a seasoned veteran. You know, he did turn in hey, Canelo Alvarez. Every fight, Canelo gets better and better and better and better. And people were like, you know, when does it stop? He'd come out with new things. And, and you know, you see improvement in every fight. But there was that development. But what's the, what's the kind of, where's the fine line? Or, or, or what's it like from, I'm not, in terms of, obviously, you work with the promoter. But your job is the matchmaker. So you're... You're developing the fighter, which we've talked a little bit about. But, of course, the promoter's job is to promote the fighter into this marketable, marquee, superstar, brand name. That's one aspect. Now, that's the promotional things. But the boxing things, the development, that's picking the southpaw, getting the tall guy, making sure he goes a few rounds. Get a guy in there who maybe messes him about and frustrates him. So you're building the fighter. They're building the the brand, let's say. The brand. Correct. Correct. Where... there must have been times where you felt the pressure from the promoter to move quickly and push, and the TV companies want to throw money, and they want to move this guy faster into big fights. But you're like, whoa, I don't know if he's quite ready for that. I need a bit more time. Is there, Can you think of a few examples in recent times where the, there's been that bit of a push and pull? You know, there was uh, a lot of the times they do. I mean, I don't re- really recall one where they'll go against what I'm thinking or my opinion. But there was a couple of times where even let's say Canelo, he wanted to fight somebody and I opposed. I was like, no, I don't think guys, that's the right guy. One of them was Austin Trout. The other one was Arislandi Lada. And another case was Shane Mosley. Shane Mosley, they gave us three names from HBO for him to fight. Margarito. I think it was on, uh, what was his name? What was his name? Uh, Mayweather's last fight. I'm sorry, I, I drew a blank. Berto. Berto, Andre Berto. And maybe it was Paul Williams. I think they threw like three names. And he wanted Margarito. I remember talking to Shane and saying, that's the last one I think you should fight. Margarito's too big. He's strong. He, he just he's, he comes forward. He could take a punch. 
And again, it goes back to believing you, what you, your confidence in yourself. Shane's words were, remember, Shane is from Southern California. The majority in Southern California, Mexican gyms, Mexican fighters. He says, Robert, I've been beating margaritos all my life. Like what? He's been beating the Mexican style. And I said, he goes, everybody goes to his face because he's so easy to hit there. Nobody's gone to his body. You don't give him range so that with his long height and reach, he gets power. You take it away and smother his butt. Shane had him figured out before the fight so easy, like a trainer would have. When the fighter tra- uh, mentality is that like a trainer, which is like a Floyd Mayweather, it's another level. As soon as the fight, if you guys get a chance to watch it again, the fight starts. Shane always unloads in the first round to get your attention. And where does Shane hit Margarito? To the body. And Margarito folds. And I was like, oh, my God. This guy knew. He scripted it. Couldn't have scripted better. Obviously, the loaded guns we nobody knew about or nobody had expected. That could have been another reason. He didn't have his loaded guns. Maybe his confidence wasn't there. But Shane did everything he said he was going to do to Margarito. He smothered his punches, was never really hurt. And he hurt Margarito, beat him up bad. So it's it's those type of fights. But it wasn't really so much that the networks pushed a younger one. It's more of us trying to convince them, no, that's not the right fight. When we told Canelo not to fight Austin Trout, he says, no, that's who I want to fight. And, you know, he had learned so much from the Mayweather fight. I mean, the kid just, those are promoters' dreams of, to fighting guys that are willing to take these risks. Or, and teams that are like that. You know, this this fight that we announced yesterday with Melkuziev, six fights to fight Sergey Kovalev. No other manager, no other trainer. Maybe the fighters will, but no other teams usually would accept a challenge like this. Luckily, it's a team that believes that, hey, we have a chance to win. And trainer, everybody in conjunction believes, so it was easier to make. The reason why I asked that question was I was in Youngstown a few years back. I went over there. Uh, you know, I was, I was European champion. I just knocked out Asim Amin Asakhan. And I wanted to put myself in the picture to get the fight with uh, Kelly Pavlik. So I went to watch his fight in Youngstown. Met with Bob Arrow and I had a chat. Anyway, the next day, it was coming down to breakfast. And Bob was sitting with a guy called Gary Hyde, who had Rigando as a manager. And they were trying to do a deal. And, and Freddie was there. And I knew Freddie. So anyway, I ended up sitting down. We have a cup of tea. And I'm chatting away. And we're just telling stories. And Bob... He was kind of complaining, really, about HBO. You know, this fight with Pavlik, I think it was, I can't remember before, it was, it, they put it out on their own pay-per-view. It wasn't an HBO fight. And he said, no, he said, look, we're going to lose a lot of money on this show, but I need Kelly to get a fight and blah, blah, blah. He said, um, you know, you got to be careful. With, uh, he goes, I'd never do an exclusive deal with, with, with HBO again, he said, because they just tried to pull too many strings on, on the opponents. He said, years ago, he said, when we had Oscar De La Hoya, you know, he'd come out of the Olympics. He was the gold medal. He said this fantastic smile. You know, he, he was a superstar in the making. He said HBO were throwing all this money at us. They wanted Oscar to fight Gennaro Hernandez in like record time and become the world champion. And, you know, I spoke to Bruce Trampler, who was my matchmaker, and he was like, nah, I don't want that fight yet. I, I don't think he's quite ready for it. And they were like, oh, but HBO, he goes, no, no, I, I don't want it. I don't think he's ready for that fight. It, so he pushed it back. He said, so we ends up doing another fight. I think we fought Jimmy Bradell. We fought the WBO title. We won the WBO. 
Then we moves up to lightweight. He wins a, a world title there. Then we fight Gennaro Hernandez. We drag him up a weight too. It's a little, he's got a little bit older. Oscar's got a little bit better. And of course, Oscar beats Gennaro Hernandez. But he was saying, maybe if they'd have fought Gennaro Hernandez when HBO were trying to call the shots, you know, maybe Oscar would have got beaten. And then maybe Oscar would have still been a great fighter because he was a great fighter. But maybe he would never have had that, that um, aura that an undefeated fighter has. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because they're not thinking right now a lot of the networks aren't thinking right now of down the line, it could be better if he develops into that superstar. They're thinking, I'm paying you right now. I need to get the best fight possible. They're not really matchmakers. They're not really promoters. So it is sometimes a back and forth. But today, with pay-per-view being on the lower side, the zone being our platform, I'm like, Let's just put on the best fights. Forget about the building into a pay-per-view for tomorrow. Let's put on the best fights now. Whoever wins moves up to the next level. Whoever loses, a couple things to work on. But let's give the fans in the network right now what they want, the best fights. You do get a lot of those kind of sliding doors scenarios in boxing, make or break fights, basically, where if the result had been different, then they may well not have gone on to achieve all the other things that they went on to to achieve um you, you mentioned Canelo and this is a bit of a weird week for you really I suppose for for everybody on the, on the golden boy team because he's fighting but he's but he's not with you guys any longer how I'm not I'm not mining for trade secrets but um how was all of that because you've been you've been doing this a long time now is it a case of well this is boxing shit happens or did you take it personally? Were you upset? I mean, it's it, relationships end, but... I mean, I, I won't lie. Uh, Saturday night when he fights, then I'll be watching on the zone. It's going to feel a little sour, you know, being like all those years, but it happens in life. It You know, it was a great thir- 12, 13 years. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I've thought about it this way. Joe Montana, I'm a great 49er, big 49er fan. Joe Montana didn't retire with the 49ers. However, you ask anybody in football, hey, you know Joe Montana? Of course, 49ers. People seem to forget he didn't retire there. I don't even think about him as a Kansas City Chief, especially after they beat us in the last Super Bowl. But but we're just, I mean, personally, I'm just happy to have worked with him, seeing him over the years. And, I mean, you know, time is now on a shorter period for him because look at the I mean, look at who he's fighting on Saturday. Look at the size difference. These are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as the days go by because he's not going to say, you know what, uh, he's too big. I got to go back to 160. It's, he's at 168 and he's established there. So would you have would you have ticked Callum Smith as an opponent for Canelo? I know Canelo. He's he he is one, and he's shown it through the years of being. I like challenges. I don't get up. It's hard to get up now of fighting somebody that he doesn't feel challenged. However, uh, I agree. In an interview I saw, he said, Callum Smith is the best fighter in the division. And I didn't even expect, I, obviously I knew he was taller. But when I saw the face-off the other day, I'm like, holy crap. I didn't know he was that much taller. You know, remember, Canelo's not that tall. I mean, Canelo's 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, He's wider. He's wide. Big neck, thick legs, big arms. 
but it's going to be very interesting because no disrespect to fielding, fielding was tall. Kovalev was tall. It goes back to what we mentioned earlier, mentality too. It's not just he's taller, the reach. I truly believe Callum Smith believes he can win and is going in there to win. And then there's another little extra bonus. You beat my brother. I'm coming for revenge. That's that's a little extra push that he might have in his favor. Where Canelo's looking at it, hey, this is nothing personal. Callum might be saying, yes, it is personal. He's spoken very gentleman, and obviously that's the Smith brothers. They're all great. But deep down inside, I want that. I want that revenge. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. It was mad looking at the face-off because I was well aware that, that Canelo's 5'8 and Callum's 6'3, so that's seven-inch difference. But it looked like it had been photoshopped almost. It was he was, you know, he was towering over him. I couldn't I couldn't quite believe it. But I'm I'm really looking forward to it. You know, it's 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 a really interesting fight. Uh, another one we do need to touch on as well is Ryan Garcia against Luke Campbell. I went to see I Luke. I, I went to see Luke. It's, it's a great, great fight. Great fight. It's a great fight. Um, you know. Ryan, Matt and I talked in New York one day and Matt asked me, is he all that? And I said, yeah, he is. The kid works hard, trains hard, has the talent, but hasn't really fought that experience yet. Luke Campbell is his toughest fight to date. Luke Campbell, obviously a gold medalist, has been in there with Linares, with Lomachenko, has experience, southpaw, tall. It is a tough fight. However, the difference is going to be, and it's not hunger. I know Luke probably has more pressure that he has to win. Third time's a charm for him. If he doesn't win now, he does he become a gatekeeper? He does, I mean, all that expectation of Luke Campbell is like, oh, he can't win the big one. But Ryan hasn't even touched that that ceiling yet. I mean, it's not even there yet. He's He's still maturing. His body's filling out. I really think it's a good competitive fight while it lasts. But Luke is going to be two or three steps behind every time. I think that's the difference. And remember, Luke, I, I, I was there when he fought Linares. He's very good. He hurt Linares to, with a body shot, hurt his rib. Linares took the middle rounds off because he, he had trouble breathing. But Linares was too fast for Luke. You know, so I I really think it's going to be a very good fight. It'll tell us where Ryan is. I see Ryan winning by knockouts, being the first one to stop Luke. Matt, it's, we, we like this one a lot as well, don't we? I went to see Luke last week um, in Hull, and we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. And what people might not quite 
understand about him, because he doesn't say a lot, is that the reason he doesn't say a lot, it's not because he lacks confidence. It's completely the opposite. He's so self-confident that he doesn't really feel the need to say anything. Uh, and he is completely and utterly convinced he's going to win that fight. Yeah, look, Luke, Luke Campbell has been at a level that Ryan hasn't been anywhere near it, really. You know, he, he's looked the business and he's, he, look, he's got speed, he's got power. He, he, he looks he, he looks the business, no doubt, but he hasn't been at that level yet where Luke Campbell, although he didn't win at that level, he was very close with Linares. That was a close fight. And Split decision, he, he split decision. Yeah, and against Lomachenko, even though he, he 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 lost nearly every round, every round was very competitive. Lomachenko had to work hard that night, um, so he's shown that he can compete with the very very best. You know, I'm talking the pound for pounders. So he he's proven at a level that Ryan Garcia hasn't even boxed at yet. But this is one of those crossroads fights. It's about timing. What what a, what a, what a, I mean, I hope Luke Campbell wins, and I'll tell you why because. I'd hate to see Luke. I think if Luke Campbell doesn't win a, uh, a world title next, he's gonna he's not gonna win one. I think if he loses to Ryan Garcia, he'll probably end up retiring and, and he'll get down and not win the world title. And that'll be a shame because he's good enough to become a world champion. You know what I mean? He, he's just been unlucky that he's been in against pound for pounders in Linares and Lamachenko. But look, it, it, it boxing. Listen, we're talking about matchmaking and, and timing. Essential. It's key. And this is one of them where mm, they're rolling the dice a little bit with Ryan Garcia. But I think people, we, we haven't seen the, where we're from, Andy, watching his fights. We, we don't know, but Robert's obviously in the gym with him, seeing how he's got inspiring, spoke closely. They, they've got a lot more information than we have. So, listen, it's going to be a good fight, I think. It, it, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is tiny. If, if, if Brian loses... Right away, they're going to tell me, point fingers or this and that. Oh, they rushed them too quick. And it was too soon. If Luke, oh, they should have put him in. Ryan's a star because he's been showing it. These are the fights that have to be made because, number one, it was ordered. But two, it's a 50-50 fight. So it, any, either one could win. You know, Ryan hasn't fought more than two rounds in the last couple of years. Luke has had rounds because he went the distance with Loma. That's very valuable. Very valuable. That experience he gained, even if it was a loss, and you're right, it was very competitive. And with Linares, it was very competitive. Luke has proven he belongs at that level. What Ryan needs to prove is he belongs or he is at that level or even that he's beyond that level. And I think this fight will answer both sides of the question. So we won't keep you too much longer. Just a couple of other things I'm keen to to talk to you about. So when when you look back on what you've done so far as a as a matchmaker, you can't really have favourites, I guess, but are there careers that you look at, wouldn't necessarily have to be the biggest names, but are the careers that you look at and just think, we really couldn't have done any better? I listen to you, you listen to me, the fighter and the teams. We all listen to each other and we squeezed every single drop of potential out of you. We could not have done any better than we did because in a way that must be the most satisfying thing if you know that there, there was just no more you could have done all of you I think I mean I think once the, it's over you always think ah, later oh, I could have done better I think you could always do better um, you know one of, one of the things that I see 
that is very, very, it hurts, Ricky Hatton. Ricky Hatton. I think that return could have been successful if they wouldn't have gone with Sachenko. You know, if he would have had a couple of tune-ups and wins and, and gets his timing, gets his speed, gets everything, I think we could have prolonged those nights that were some of the greatest nights I've ever been involved in in boxing. The atmosphere, the love of Ricky Hatton fans. Um, personally, in, in, that I've been involved in, a career that's over now, um, I don't, I don't know. I, that's a great question. I'd have to give it more thought. But obviously, I, I was, I, I was I thinking, I was thinking maybe, I was thinking maybe Caballero won the world title in Monaco. You know, that what an amazing thing for, for a kid, kid from. Randy and his father listened to me. We 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 passed on the first world title fight that came to us. We passed. I didn't think he was ready. That haunted me for a little bit because I said, if he loses his next fight and it's not a world title, they're going to say, but you told us not to take the money and the world title. But the dad made it clear. It's not about money. I want my son to become a champion. So we developed him about two fights later. And then he went to Monaco, did great. With him, it was more of a mystery of what happened because he gains the weight in his first defense overnight. He had already made the weight the night before and then wakes up higher and has told me many, many times I didn't eat, I didn't drink. I don't know if he slept, walked, and drank something or ate something, but he gained <laughs> like five pounds, couldn't make the weight and lost the belt. It was sad, the way he won and then the way he lost. But then came injuries and injuries and injuries. And to this date, he's not 100%. And he said, you know, if I'm not 100%, I'm not going to fight again. He told me, after the loss to Diego De La Hoya, he said, I wasn't 100%. And I'm never going to take another fight. And I said, you know what? Don't ever do it. Um, Jason Quigley, he's one of the kids that I really, really believe in and, and, and have a real good friendship with. And I saw early on a great, you know, the progress. And then came the injury and the year off and very bad injury to the hand. And then a couple of changes and trainers. And I still believe we haven't seen Jason Quigley. We haven't seen him come back. So it is sometimes after a loss, you take a while to, you know, little fights here and there to get back on that road of where the fighter has that confidence again or where that connection with the trainer. He's now with Andy Lee. I love the connection. I love it because Andy's giving him 100%. Actually, thinking about it, one, one that does pop into my head now because me and Matt commentated on the fight earlier in the year, um, is Jojo Diaz. Uh, and the reason I, I would, I would just cut, he, he popped into my head was because Jojo Diaz, um, for those who aren't totally familiar with his career, was a really good amateur, went to the Olympics, got to the late stages of a world championships. He got beat in London by Lazaro Alvarez. Lazaro Alvarez, yeah, four-time world champion. Wasn't at that point, but went on to be supersonic fighter. Signed by Golden Boy, uh, star treatment from the beginning, moved well, matched well, got a world title fight against Gary Russell, very tough, lost. Then you got him another one straight away for the WBA regular title, which he was definitely supposed to win, and he did win, but he missed the weight. Now all of a sudden, he's 0-2 in world title fights. He moves up away to Super Feather. He gets a fight with Tevin Farmer, who's a good, solid world champion, and this is it for him now, isn't it? You're thinking, before that fight, I was thinking, Wow, all, everybody thought he was nailed on to be a world champion. It hasn't quite happened. If it doesn't happen now, he's probably done. 
and he and he got there. He got over the line. I mean, it's amazing how things work out. Is what I'm driving at. I guess. I, I think Jojo learned from those mistakes. He definitely learned from the Gary uh, Gary Russell fight. Today, you talked to Jojo. In fact, he just texted me while we were on the call, and his confidence is, you know, blew the ceiling. I mean, his confidence in himself. He's very excited about his upcoming fight with the mandatory. Um, his mentality now is to go in there and hurt you and try to knock you out, not just box you and, and win. But he is now the mature fighter with the talent. I see Jojo going on and unifying belts. He's already beaten the current WBA regular champion in Rene Alvarado. He wants to fight the Burchells. He wants to fight the Herrings. He wants to fight them all. Well, there's some great fights to be made in that division. Some absolute belters. Uh, Frampton Herring, hopefully, is one we'll see early early in the year. I I, I love Bachel. I think Bachel is uh, an absolute beast. Um, and I was a little bit sad when when he boxed Francisco Vargas, to be honest, because I really love Vargas. And and I just thought, when that was made, I thought, oh, God, that's God, that's hard for someone who'd had quite a lot of hard fights in, in, in Vargas. Vargas. But what... Oh, what, so so I'm glad you touched on that one because, again, going into the matchmaking, I didn't want the Burchell fight. We didn't want it. We wanted the Mura fight, the rematch. And we figured even even if Mura wins this time, we could do a trilogy because they probably would have ended up in great fights. But at the time, management was like, no, no, Mura's too tough. Remember, he had fought um, he had fought Mura and then he had fought Salido in back-to-back year, you know, fight of the year fights. So they wanted something soft, and they said, we'd rather fight Burchell. And I'm like, uh, whenever you get two Mexicans in the ring, it's guaranteed war, regardless of how little one is over the other. And it was like, I don't want a Mexican fighter again, not one back-to-back. And we wanted Mura, but management you know, said, no, we'd rather fight Burchell. And obviously, he lost that fight. That that first fight against Miura on the Cotto Canelo undercard was was something else. That that the round it finished in was one of the best rounds I've ever seen. I was I was commentating on on that fight. But so finally, you mentioned Senchenko a little bit earlier on, and we had Paulie on the podcast last year, and we were talking about other things, so we didn't get onto that fight. But we could probably do a whole episode on that fight because you were there, weren't you? Absolutely. Paulie Malinaji going, so going to the Ukraine and beating Senchenko to become a two-weight world champion. That is a massive win. And, and it's, it's one, one that, that kind of slipped under the radar. That is one of the fights that I'm very proud of because I went to the WPA convention. I asked Paulie to come. We got him rated. The, the mandatory was Brad Solomon. He couldn't. The, there was problems in getting that fight made. I had a meeting with the WBA and the promoter of Sajenko. We got the fight made like that. Eventually, it, some little hurdles happened, but we were able to get the fight. And there was just all kinds of different things from officials to gloves to there was so many obstacles that we went through. And I just wanted Polly to feel comfortable and know that I had his back. We were going in. It was the true Italian Rocky Balboa going in against Drago. I, I mean, that is the real life of how this fight was. I mean, Sajenko was a natural bigger guy, undefeated in his hometown, taller than Pauly. Pauly's never been a puncher. Yet two of his knockout wins were with Golden Boy. His first fight with Golden Boy and that world title fight. So, and to stop Sajenko, I remember everybody jumping in the ring 
you know, his, his team. And I'm like, in the middle of the ring, guys, stop it. Let's go to the locker room and jump all you want. Because all the Ukrainians around us, promoters and fans, were just looking at us like, we're not happy here. We're not happy to stop celebrating. And then we crashed their after party. They weren't happy to either there. We said, hey, guys, we, we got to go here. <laughs> Let's see. We're, we're not welcome. But they, they obviously, they treated us well. It was a fight. But I saw early on the week fight, fight of the, uh, um, during the fight week. Sajenko mentally was lost. He was like, wow, I'm fighting Pauly. Wow. Like, he was like, oh, my God. I'm fighting. Right there. It's like, you know what? We have a good chance. We have a good chance. Pauly won here before he won in the ring. It was a huge win. I mean, I, I think... Um... I don't know. I think I might have gone straight to the airport from the ring, to be honest, if uh, if, if I'd been part of the team having one out there, because that wasn't what was supposed to happen. They might have not have let us go. <laughs> you got to sign the rematch before you go. I mean, it would have been something like that. <laughs> okay, so we will we'll wind it up there. We'll wind it up there. You've been on the move, but your your sound has remained solid, which, uh, which is an absolute blessing. Um, as for the roulette wheel story... We'll save that for another day. <laughs> I think we'll Robert Diaz we'll has just put his... We'll save that one when we're all together and reminisce. Yes, Robert's just put his head in his hands there. And, and having heard it before I hit record, I know it's really annoying to kind of refer to things that, that, that you haven't heard, that we have heard. And the worst thing that you can... You know, In-jokes are very tedious when you're watching TV or listening to, to the radio. But... You know, we I do have to exercise some kind of parliamentary procedure, as Christopher Livingston Eubank would like to say on this uh, on this podcast. And it's not like it doesn't make Macklin look terrible, but at the same time, well, that depends how you look about it. <laughs> it, it kind of does. It kind of does. It, it, it does really. It involves a roulette wheel, a load of vodka, and and some missing teeth. Um, and you could you could kind of, you could kind of go where you want with that, really. It just there's endless possibilities that you could conjure with that. So, Robert, thanks very much. It's been great fun. Um, this is one we've been been looking forward to, been looking to do for ages. And hopefully, we'll see you in person soon. Um, either we'll get over there, or you'll get over here. I can't wait to see you guys. I mean. Macklin, I've known him for many years. We're great friends. We're always in touch. It's always good to see you. Congratulations on the show, guys. Um, and January 2nd, Ryan Garcia and Luke Campbell on the zone. Don't miss it. It'll be great. Brilliant. Thanks, Perfect way to. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for coming on. It's been a lot of fun and always great to catch up. Likewise, pal. Tell my friends the Hattons. I love them. Take care. Will do. Okay, thanks very much. And thanks to everybody listening. This is probably going to be the last one of the year. We might come back on Sunday if Callum Smith has pulled off the upset against Canelo. If this is the last one, then make sure you have a good Christmas and Happy New Year uh, and all that kind of thing. And we'll, we'll see you again soon. And old Lucy Brown Yes, that line falls on the right Not that mad Back in time. Look out, old Mac is back. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 